And so the model that we have is built for a preliterate uh, generation that was agrarian. And so they would walk or ride a horse into town, spend all day with people, and an hour or two out of that day, they would actually listen to the words of scripture that they could not read themselves. And so you'd have these moments where they could actually like, oh, I got to trap this because this information is now really heartfelt and dear and it's valuable. And we have devalued, we've devalued information because of the fact that we can get it as a commodity. They could not. And so that model was built for that, that time in history. And it was beautiful and it was amazing. And it was exactly what they needed for the time that they lived in. The problem is the model hasn't shifted in 1700 years and it hasn't needed to, I don't think, until digital technology really connected all of us. So it was the internet and email and organization where now we're commoditizing, you know, information so we could watch somebody's video. But what really changed was the ability to connect like you and I are doing right now. That changed the game for churches. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flow Over Fear podcast, where it is our mission to help you to rise above fear and realize your ultimate potential in leadership and life. I'm your host, Adam Hill, and it is my goal to share with you the human side of high performance. My guests share their experience with fear, anxiety, struggle, challenge, and most importantly, despite all of it, how they rose above it to achieve incredible results. So if you're ready to rise up, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Flow Over Fear. I'm glad you made it today. Thanks for joining us. I have a great guest today. Uh, you know, there are a lot of ways that fear can show up in our lives and communities. And inclusive of that, of course, is certain uncertainty, uh, lack of understanding, you know, amongst each other. And also that it kind of exists in our general generational gaps that may exist within our culture. And uh, that's where my guest comes in today. Chesley Lunday is a speaker, a consultant on issues of generational change in churches and other organizations. He's given over 1,000 presentations in seven countries, reaching over 100,000 people, and has led a team to develop a groundbreaking new study on emerging generational trends within our institutions at the intersection of technology and faith. As a military veteran, entrepreneur, and pastor, Chesley's been uh, developing leaders for 15 years, and his thought leadership has been featured in Start Church, The Christian Post, and Outreach Magazine. Chesley is on the cutting edge of emerging generational trends in churches and businesses and helps these organizations bring vision, innovation, and clarity to growing uncertainty in our world. Thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, not a problem. I always get a kick when uh, we talk about a thousand presentations. I'm a pastor, so I speak twice a week anyways. So right. it's just funny. And I have so many friends that make fun of me. Really? A thousand keynotes, buddy? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Hey, it yeah. counts, man. I, anytime yes, you're able to get up there on stage, right? Right. I used to well, say a thousand unique because that's harder than just saying just saying the same thing over and over and over again. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, that, and that's true. I mean, yeah. Keynote speaker. Develops one speech, they get yeah. referred, they keep going up there. 
you have to work on that every single week, something new, something inspiring. There's something to that. There's a lot there. And I mean, I think that needs to be celebrated. So or yeah. we're really good at BSing. That's all. <laughs> right. That's true. <laughs> Some would argue. Uh, I, would so, say. <laughs> I would argue half the time. It's like, what am I doing talking about this? I don't know how to raise kids. No. Right. <laughs> uh, well, let, let's let's kind of dig in. Let's start there. I, I think that's a good good place to start. I, I, I'd love to know how you how you got into that role uh, of being a pastor. What what brought your heart into that, and and how'd you get there? Oh, geez, being a pastor. Uh, so I'm fifth generation pastor, and wow. I ran away from it as far as I could because um, growing up as a PK was not an easy ride for me. Ended up, um, my dad was what we call bivocational, meaning <laughs> um, you have two jobs whether you want one or not. Uh, because church doesn't pay the bills. Well, it was so bad at one point we ended up homeless uh, for a few months in a hotel. So, um, yeah, and that has kind of stuck with me. The whole economic struggle of being a pastor um, is not fun. And so, you know, I try to make money in other different areas just because I don't ever want to be homeless or broke. That's where my (laughs) fear lies. And um, yeah, so I... Over that time, I just fell in love with the idea of inspiring people and helping them transform their lives. And I think that is deeply spiritual and trying to figure out how to innovate and help people do that in a digital age. Um, you know, so I did that. I've been a past, I've been a pastor for 15 years. Um, just uh, the the iterations of what pastoring looks like has changed a lot, specifically with digital technology. And realized really quickly, like the church is going through the third biggest shift it's ever had in its entire existence. We're talking mm. two thousand years. Wow! <laughs> you know? Wow! So you have uh, Constantine, where it, Christianity was illegal up to Constantine, right. um, and he legalized it, and they were able to come out of hiding and begin to. Uh, really put their mark on uh, the world. What we call Christendom started mm-hmm. because Constantine allowed them to not be prosecuted, killed, or uh, or tortured for their faith. And so they began to change the world by creating these towns around the focal point of uh, their faith. And and it it was amazing it, for the most part. And you know, then it then it went and you did what everything does, and it declines and it gets. Uh, you know, it gets a little corrupted or a lot corrupted. <laughs> and then over time, uh, there was this next shift, which happened to coincide with di- with, with some technology, uh, a technological innovation called the printing press and a huge political dissenting uh, sector of the population that was having a hard time with the Catholic Church um, with their corruption mm-hmm. and and I say corruption lightly because I know I've got a lot of friends that are Catholic. So this is a still, for whatever reason, we have we were not around, but it's still a sticking point for all of us. Sure. Too uh, soon. Too soon. Right? Yeah, too soon. <laughs> uh, Protestants were called Protestants because they were protesting mm-hmm. the uh, Catholic Church and the way they asked, uh, well, they asked, <laughs> asked in quotation marks, uh, you to give money so that your dead relatives could go to heaven. And yeah. um, and then they would use certain things called indulgences uh, for, you know, the dead relatives or your own sins so that you wouldn't get hit and go to purgatory. And so there was a lot of corruption back then for uh, church power being used for state power mm-hmm. and, and that sort of gain. And Martin Luther 
there was a lot of guys that came before Martin Luther, but the the difference between him and everybody else is he had the idea of using the printing press to get out his message where everybody else was talking. And because they were so geographically centered uh, without a way to disseminate the message to where the masses would understand, the, mm-hmm. the Catholic Church was able to pick off and shut down those voices before Martin Luther. By the time Martin Luther's voice got to the Catholic Church for it to be an issue, the 95 theses that he quote-unquote pounded on the wall, I don't know if that's actually the case or not, but that was disseminated in pamphlet form throughout the entire region of Germany to where they weren't just dealing with one Martin Luther. They were now dealing with an entire nation of Protestants, not mm-hmm. that they were trying to be anything different than the Catholic Church. They were just asking the Catholic Church to change or reform itself. Instead, they kicked Martin Luther and the rest of his guys to the curb, and they had to make a compromise and said, hey, don't kill us. Let's all go against the Baptists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, people would hate, man. Yeah. People would yeah. hate. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was the second biggest shift in church history, Was uh, and it was because of information was allowed to have access. And what Martin Luther did there was uh, he created in one page, and um, he disseminated it into German language. Mm-hmm. Uh, up until that time, everything was written mostly in Latin. Nobody in Europe could read it. Only the high elite could. And he brought down access to the common man. That is what innovation is, is bringing yeah. down access to power, to innovate, uh, to tools, to people that normally couldn't have it. And mm-hmm. so he did that. And he used that idea to, to spread his idea. And now we're in what I call the third iteration, which is the digital reformation, if you will. Well, that's interesting. I, and I, I, I think that the idea that each of those revolutions were, yes, brought on by or facilitated by some technological change. Uh, obviously, the first one was was an empire, you know, yeah. driven, but yeah, but. Also, also driven by a person too. It sounds like you know. Okay, mm-hmm. so somebody used that tool of technology to drive that home or some kind of power on that front. Yeah. Who is today's is so with this new technological technological revolution? Who is today's Martin Luther? Is, is yeah, there that's some a beautiful question? Beautiful yeah. question. Um, this is different than any other shift that we've had. Mm. Um leaders are made after the fact. I always believe that. They're not usually like Martin Luther didn't wake up one day and go, I'm going to lead this revolution. Right. No, that's not what happened. He probably even died and didn't realize his mark and impact on history. Um, but this is fundamentally different than the other two shifts because it doesn't deal with, um, it doesn't deal with the struck, the hierarchical structure, which is what mm-hmm. Constantine did. And it doesn't deal with the theological structure, which is what uh, Martin Luther's did. This actually um, deals with the uh, practical structure, how we experience our faith. Mm. Um, it was built in such a way, the model of church hasn't changed in 1700 years, which is come around a building, listen to somebody talk about scripture. We get all you know up in arms about listening to somebody spout off his opinion about a, a book we don't know if it's actually right or not. Uh, from a stage. But the reality is these people lived in a preliterate time. And so the model that we have is built for a preliterate or a generation that was agrarian. And so they would walk or ride a horse into town, spend all day with people, 
and an hour or two out of that day, they would actually listen to the words of scripture that they could not read themselves. Yeah. And so you'd have these, these moments where they could actually like, oh, I got to trap this because this information is now, um, you know, this information is, it's, I don't, I don't trying to, the words escaping me, but it's like, it's, it's, really heartfelt and dear and it's valuable and we have devalued we've devalued information because of because of the fact that we can get it as a commodity they could not and so that yeah. model was built for that that time in history and it was beautiful and it was amazing and it was exactly what they needed for the time that they lived in the problem is the model hasn't shifted in 1700 years and <laughs> it hasn't needed to, I don't think, until digital technology really connected all of us. So it was the internet and email and organization where now we're commoditizing, you know, information so we could watch somebody's video. But what really changed was the ability to connect like you and I are doing right now. That mm-hmm. changed the game for churches because you could get information somewhere else, but you couldn't connect to anybody else anywhere else. And when social media came on on board with platforms and connections and, and social media in its first stage, not in its second stage, um, it really changed the game for how we connect with he, each other. You and I are able to do this. Why do my, I can, for the first time in my life, I can curate my own network of relationships. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there are some pros and cons to that with the way digital uh, reforms the brain. And I I don't think it's nearly as bad as some people like to make it out to be. I don't think it's nearly as good as some people like to make it out to be. But it really changed the game about how we express our faith, how we practice it on a day to day, what the role of the building and the one hour a week event does for us. And so this net, this third iteration is going to change the way we experience faith, which is when I'm saying that, if you are not a faith, you're, you're not somebody that follows faith or not a church leader, that doesn't mean a lot to you. What I just said to people that are religious, and I just like, I might as well have been Martin Luther and shoved something up against the door because that is unsettling. The way we experience and practice our faith will change in the next 15 to 20 years because of digital technology. Yeah, and and this this touches a very very central point, and it, and it kind of gets to that fear element of where we're experiencing yeah. this fear, because <laughs> yes. you, you mentioned something before we jumped on this call, which was you know we always have this fear of change, which is totally which is absolutely true, mm-hmm. and ultimately it's our ability to embrace that change in the right way that that can lead to uh, an abundant life or a better life. I think one of the you know some of the fears that I see is I mean, I mean that immediately pop up in my mind when you say. You know that that this that this digital technology is making it more accessible, more available. It's exciting because certainly it makes it easier for people to access, access it. But what um, what would you say to the the fact that like when you look at how information is processed nowadays? Mm-hmm. I mean, to some extent, if you have a building with a church where you're delivering a message, right? That that there's there you have to bring some some sort of uh, uh, credibility to it in in some way, right? How do we how do we assure the credibility of quote unquote the message when it's distributed across so many different platforms and, and disseminated so quickly throughout our uh, tech to throughout our uh, technological infrastructure? If that's the thing, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I'm going to try to answer that. We'll see if I do a good job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the message is credible in and of itself that it's lasted for as long as it has. So I don't think the message is the issue. The methods by which we use are. And Mm. um, what we tend to do, and, and I say this, knowing that our interpretation of Scripture differs based on our worldview. Right. But at the crux of faith is this idea that God and man can connect in a divine relationship that can lead to transformation, fulfillment, and life. It's mm-hmm. not just about an afterlife. It's about purpose for our life here and now. Mm-hmm. And um, whether you're an atheist or an agnostic, we're all looking for some sort of purpose, something right. that makes it feel like we're, you know, it's today is worth getting up for <laughs> worth right. working as hard as I am for. And uh, whether that is hum- humanism for somebody that is uh, humanism becomes the place of a divine being in any other sort of faith tradition. And so um, I think everybody's looking for that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so credibility, the message of transformation and that there's vehicles for transformation that in and of itself is credible. That's why you and I do what we do. Sure. At the end of the day, Adam, you're basically a preacher too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to bust your bubble. No, uh, no. You, you know, I, I think I think that's not a problem. I think what <laughs> ends up happening is we realize, you know, there are these times in history and they don't come around all the time. Like I said, the third biggest shift in Christianity and I think religious history you know, is this moment, but this is disruptive for everybody. We're right. we're grappling with the idea that AI, like there's this new list of people that are, Elon Musk, who funded Chat, Chat GPT, is saying, "Hey, wait, we should not, uh, we shouldn't continue to work on uh, on AI. We should yeah. ban it for about six months till we t- figure out the ethics behind it." Yeah. I'm like, I'm, y- you know what? Somebody's dealing with something in their garage that's going to change everything else. I, we're living in such a disruptive time that there's these moments in history that we have to be, uh, we just have to be very aware that we're not living in a normal, uh, normal everyday society. This moment that we just happen to be put on this earth for is uh, ripe for innovation. And mm-hmm. um, we are either going to be disrupted or disruptive. We really don't get a choice in between the two. I, maybe you can. Maybe you can just be. Uh, I can't. I'm. I'm ambitious, so I want to move forward with the progress. Right. But the reality is, for most of us, we're living in a society that's going to force us to be innovative, whether we like it or not. Yeah. Just as somebody that had to learn how to watch TV with Blu-ray and then streaming, but they really love their VCR. You know, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I is this remote that. thing? So it right. forced us to be innovative. It forced right. us to pro- progress. And I feel like we are in a generation now with Gen Z and Alpha um, that they are the first purely digital generation. They process the world differently than people over forty do. Um, they see and experience the world differently than we do because of how they process the world. And if yeah. we don't do the jobs as as leaders to understand and empathize with where they're at, then we're not going to do a good job of leading them, which requires change. And it, for those of us that are caught in the middle as leaders right now, it requires us to be a bridge from the old to the new mm-hmm. without stalling progress. And that's where change comes in. And everybody's afraid of change. 
and the yeah. leader most of all, because they know what it means to be a le- leading through change. It's not easy. It's definitely not. Yeah. And and that's why this is such a, a, a good topic to cover when it comes to fear, because it doesn't just exist in a ter- in a church that happens to be where you're you're you know, you're you're conducting these studies and and, and incorporating these things. It's, it's happening there and it's an important transformation, but it's also happening in business. We have we're sending people home. We're having these argument or these uh, these conversations about, well, are people productive when they're working from home? Are they you know, or do we need to bring them into the office? I think Elon Musk I had the same argument. That the answer is yes. People <laughs> yeah. are productive when they work at yes, home. They you just sure don't are. like the lack of control. Let's That's be absolutely right. No, I, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that. Yeah. And uh, and you know, I'll frankly say I dealt with that generation gap in my own company when we uh, you know we had to send people home for COVID, but it worked, and it abs- you know it absolutely worked. And for the people who were younger who could adapt to that, the people that you're talking about in the younger generations. Uh, they, they, uh, they were the more productive people and the people that were in the older generations that were willing to adapt performed well on that front. I think offering the options there was, was great, but, um, and, and you'd mentioned something with regard to AI that <clears throat> I think was, was pretty powerful because that's, I think the next iteration of this change, it feels like, um, we have teachers, I have teacher friends that, that have talked about, well, you know, people are writing essays on this man, stuff. I and, wish yeah. I was a high school student <laughs> really? right now, man. I would be the smartest kid ever. It'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, they're talking about like, you know, using chat GPT and I can understand the argument of like, well, we don't want them to, to use that in the same way we didn't want to use just Wikipedia or, or before the encyclopedia. Right. But or, or or plagiarize, but yeah, but here's they, uh, you're you're sorry, I don't mean to no, cut no, go you ahead. off. Go, go, this yeah. is indicative of the time we live in. It's disruptive. Right. Our model for education is broken. It doesn't work anymore. It's built for a world that is about mm. accumulating knowledge. We don't need to accumulate knowledge. We need to discern the knowledge we do have, mm. and that's the issue. So we're looking at education is ripe for disruption. We're looking at business is ripe for disruption. Politics is ripe for disruption. People don't understand blockchain because all they think about is Bitcoin, but blockchain gives us the ability to have smart contracts, which will end up um, helping us. And there there are flaws and problems with everything we choose. We just choose our problems. But the reality is what blockchain will be able to do in the future is to rid us of politicians who say one thing and do absolutely another for their own self-interest so they win the next election, where smart contracts can be the new uh, litmus test for... um, for, you know, administration and, and it won't be politics anymore. It'll be, it'll be community administration. And mm-hmm. so we're going to start seeing, um, and I'm, some people are going to think this is dystopian. I don't know. Uh, the future's already here. It's just unequally distributed. There will be a moment where somebody says, you know what? We don't need this government anymore. We actually can do it better with AI yeah. and blockchain. Well, and so I think governments are like that. I yeah. think you look at uh, education, that's like that. Faith is going through it. Business and commerce are going through it. We're all going through it right now because we created something that has massive potential that we haven't even scratched yet. Well, I'm I'm already saying please and thank you to Alexa in advance of the singularity <laughs> so that, you know, just when they take over, I, I could tell them mm-hmm. I was polite. Hey, everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you've been listening for a while, you know how important community and mentorship is to living a life of abundance above your fears. If you want to connect with me, hear about new offerings, episodes, and strategies to live with conviction, courage, and clarity, then sign up for my newsletter now. 
It's a way to stay connected to me outside of social media and bring a little empowerment to your inbox and maybe a few dad jokes here and there. Sign up now at adamcliffordhill.com. Now back to the show. So kind of getting back to the generational gap thing, you, you've done a, you've done an important study on this that, that's, yeah. a, and can you first kind of get into just describing the different generations that, that are out there and, you know, maybe what they, what they value at this time? It, would that be something you can get into? Yeah, I think so. 57 and older are boomers. And then after that, uh, you're looking at 76 and 77 and above are what we call the silent generation, some of them around. And we have still a few of the greatest generation. Um, My study did not hit boomers or above. And (laughs) the reason why is because boomers, we know everything we need to know about how they operate in the faith world. And we already knew what their answers were going to be before because we just have a lot of study on them. What we don't know is younger generations. So what we decided to do in our study is do Gen X, which is 56 to 44, millennials, Mm -hmm. which are 43 to 27, and uh, Gen Z, which we were able to go all the way down to 13 Mm -hmm. uh, right now. So 26 to 13 in Gen Z, which is not easy to do from a valid statistical uh, study like we did, just because 13 to 18-year-olds are still in school and it's harder to get to them because they're minors. But we really wanted to take a picture of what does the nation look like as far as faith is concerned and where is it headed and how are they going to experience? So this is not a quote-unquote, even though I'm a pastor, this is not a Christian study. Mm-hmm. This is a sample of the United States as a whole, and it's Jews, uh, Islam, it's uh, Buddhist. It's uh, it's Christian. Obviously, we live in a, you, the United States, so it's predominantly Christian. Sure. And, and there was people that didn't even have a religion that said, "No, we don't. We're agnostic or atheist." And mm-hmm. so we looked at, you know, we wanted to to hear from them what they thought was, uh, what was technology going? How is that going to play into faith? What is faith going to look like in the future? And even started talking about leadership. What does leadership and faith look like? We've had at least in the Protestant uh, evangelical realm, and I use that word non-politically, um, the, that church sector, that faith sector has been inundated with a lot of sex scandals and a lot of impropriety over the last 10 years. <laughs> and um, we're seeing a massive you know, reconfiguration of leadership because of that. And so we wanted to ask, what does leadership look like in the future of faith as well? So yeah. we we did all that study, and we're we're getting ready to do another one. And I'm not even we're not even going to do Gen X because when we did the study, we realized Gen X look so much more like boomers than they mm-hmm. did like millennials. Wow! Don't tell Gen X that. <laughs> I know they didn't like that, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, that's that's fascinating. Yeah. So um, so you've got a broad spectrum of people in this study uh, as far as different faith backgrounds and different different regions of the of the United States and obviously a good representation of of gender um, and so what what did you find what 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 was yeah, yeah what were the what were the important findings well the future of faith is omnichannel it's mm-hmm. less hierarchical and it's relational mm-hmm and uh, I think if you're a business leader, you're starting to see the less hierarchical and you're starting to see maybe uh, a a desire to be more relational or at okay. least be honest about the, about the type of relationship you do have. 
Okay. So, so, so yeah, I want to dig into each of those uh, uh, to kind of get some perspective on what they mean. Like what is, what does omni-channel mean? How does, how does that show yeah, up? So omni-channel is a technological term um, that means being able to connect with you via any medium I want to at any time I want to, however I want to. Mm-hmm. And so what it means is every channel that for means of communication from the organization to the person. Mm-hmm. So as a leader of an organization, when I look at, should we be doing email? Should we be doing social media? Should we be on which social media platform should we be on? Um, should we be on text? Should we communicate via YouTube? Like the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the reason why is because people want to interact with you the way they want to interact with you. Sure. Which puts the honest on the organization to really think through, well, how can we do that best to serve them and not kill ourselves in the process? Yeah. You know, because there's a lot of dilution that can happen because of so many uh, areas, so many platforms you can get on. And our, our friend Roy Vaden has a really good way to handle that. So if you want to learn how to do that, Brand Builders Group is a great place to, to <laughs> learn that stuff. Um, but uh, I think the church in, in general and in businesses, we're going to have to learn how to interact with people the way they want to interact with us. Yeah. So, we, so that's so Omni Channel. So we have to come to them on the channel that they want, and yes. um, and 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 that that makes sense. And and when on the receiving end, is is there? How does you know? D- does the idea of having more uh, access or more more points of contact does that increase the anxiety people might feel over that subject? Or is it, is I mean, just the the amount of stimulus? Speaking yeah, to someone. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just got done talking to a guy. He he's what we would call a neurotheologian. Oh. So he does brain science and theology and mixes them together. And what they're talking about is um how it's really affecting faith. I just got off that conversation with him. His name is Jim <laughs> Wilder. Hmm. And um man, he we're so inundated with technology and so many different modes that there, he was talking to some people in South Korea and the government. What they're realizing is that people in South Korea who has way more screen time than we have, actually, yeah, that there's younger people are starting to uh, have signs of dementia quicker. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. And Yikes. the reason why is because you're getting you're just too much information in all it. Like our brains can only handle so much because it's a computer. And mm-hmm. so we have to think through intentional communication with people and then help them. From my perspective, as somebody that does receive information, I begin to look at what channels do I want to re- receive information by, which one, which ones are the best for me. Mm-hmm. And then those are the only ones that I do. I hate social media. Yeah, I, Somebody that deals with digital technology I cannot stand social media. So mm-hmm. I'll find different ways of dealing, you know, communicating with people. I, well, I love that. That's, that's really important to hear because I think as we're, as we're going through this study and we're talking about how people want to receive whatever message they're, <clears throat> they're receiving, whether it be a faith message or, or from their leaders in business or, or news or whatever it may be, I think there's a sense that that the younger generations just want to get it from every direction. And that's that not might, true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So I think that, and coming from someone who can identify who's right on the border of, 
of Gen X and Millennial. So I yeah. get to choose, which is nice because <laughs> when somebody's picking on Millennials, like, yeah, totally, yeah, like, those oh, Millennials. Hey, yeah, yeah. Gen- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those stupid Millennials. Right. I think everybody points at the Millennials and goes, you're ridiculous. Oh, but, of course, hey, yeah. Like, and, and in everybody's mind, Millennials are still 20 years old. Yes, but. they are. Yes, they are. Even though I'm 36, the oldest of us is 43. So, right. Um, yeah, it's, and even Gen Zers now, like they're, nobody thinks of Gen Z. They still think of Millennials. Yeah. Here's what I here was what I would say about that. I um as somebody that understands we need to reach people, one of the things we found in our study, which was interesting, <laughs> is um when to engage on specific platforms. Like this is specifically for faith, but I think it's more of a marketing funnel, if you will. Yeah. Like the type of communication platforms to use at specific moments in the marketing journey. When they're curious, YouTube is the best place to go because they're going to look. It's a search engine. Hmm. It is more informational at at play. Um, Social media is the next step. After that, it's email and text. Mm -hmm. You know, so using the channels and then from there, you know, once you get down and they're in your community, then you want a asynchronous digital community that is not social media. It's a private digital community with an LMS attached. Yeah. You know, so I think looking at the stages of buy-in for where they're at and, and the goods and services and the education that you're providing, each of those matter based off of where they're at in their buy-in journey and with, with their product, with your guys' products. So I think that's really cool. I think it's something that people haven't really seen a lot of, but the data really showed like, hey, at this point in the journey, this is the one thing we like the most. Uh, believe it or not, websites are still the most important digital asset you can have. Hmm, that's incredible. Websites, you wow. know? And so I think, and this is for, again, this is for the faith community, but I think there's so much more overlap as a business leader because I am a business leader. I own my own company as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not just a pretty face that only likes to spout off my opinion about the Bible. Um, <laughs> I actually have to go to work every day. I, I you know, uh, we remodel kitchens. So I have to understand marketing. I have to understand a lot of those uh, those digital tools now that, you know, 20 years ago, you didn't have to shoot. When I was 15 years ago, you didn't even have to do it. 10 years ago, you really didn't have to do it as much as you have to today. So sure. I think those are some really cool overlapping pieces that we found that work for faith, but will also work for the business world. Gotcha. So yeah, so omni-channel, that, that, that helps with that, the add context yep. there. And you're saying less hierarchical, hierarchical, easy for me to say. Yeah. Um, less hierarchical. Yes. Yeah, hierarchical. <laughs> hierarchical. <laughs> 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 yeah. You that's start feeling like, yeah. uh, what's Porky Pig? I bet, I bet, I bet, that's right. all, folks. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this at two times, good luck saying that three times yeah. fast. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, what, what, so how, how does that show up? What, what does that look like on, on, um, yeah, I think this is, uh, so when we talked about leadership with the with and this is every generation, this just wasn't just Gen Z. This was Gen X, millennials, mm-hmm. Gen Z, 56, 57, all the way down to 13 years old. And, and the ra- reality that we found is um, what people want today is an empathetic, honest and candid listening leader mm. with compassion. What they said they wanted least of was strategic, <laughs> able to communicate a vision clearly, results-oriented. Oh, wow. Okay. 
if you're a leader and you hear that, you're going, what the? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what I was just saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, so, uh, and, and what it is, is it's not that they don't want that stuff. Yeah. That's what makes a good leader, right? We know that as leaders, you need to be able to clearly define where you're headed. You, you need to be a strategic leader. You need to be somebody that is results oriented because mm-hmm. if you're not, people don't follow, people don't go with you. What they're saying, I believe, as I'm looking and trying to analyze the data as a practitioner and not just a researcher, is um, I'm, I'm seeing this big backlash against narcissism. Ah. And they don't want somebody that's a liar. They don't want somebody that's all about themselves and doesn't actually empathize with the plight of the people that are following them. And this is true in politics, in business, and in faith. They mm-hmm. want somebody that will be honest and tell them when when things aren't doing very well, go, guys, things aren't doing very well. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, you know, I messed up in this area. And be willing to take the flack for what messing up. I'm not saying people are wonderful. People aren't, by and large, in big groups, wonderful. They're mobs. Right. You know, but at the same time, um, what what matters is a leader that is centered and knows who they are and not trying to put on a face and a mask for everybody else because they have to be liked at all costs or they have to win at all costs. And in the process, demeaning and marginalizing other groups of people to lead. I think that's what's really happening. Yeah. That's, so that what they're sense. doing is they're saying, hey, um, we need less hierarchy to separate the person at the top from the people at the bottom. Because, and I love this as a consultant, what I usually tell leaders as a business consultant uh, that are CEOs is like, the only reason you have me here is because you don't have the humility to listen at the people at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you did, you would change and you wouldn't need me because right. they have the answers of all the problems that you're dealing with on the ground floor. And, um, what I what I see is that the less hierarchy is I need to be allowed to move. I need to be allowed to be creative. You have a structure to help institutionalize and help us with economics. But mm-hmm. I, as somebody low on the totem pole and down at the bottom, are really the engine that makes this work. And if you lose enough of us at the bottom, you're not going to have anything left at the top. Yeah. And so there needs to be a mutual respect there. And for businesses, this may mean not a a family. You know, this may mean being very honest with, I know you're not going to be here in five years. Mm -hmm. We want to help you with your career while you're here. We want to have an alliance with you. There may be a point where we don't have any spaces above the rung of the ladder you're on. And at that point, we need to be honest with you and us that you're going to leave. And maybe if we create that sort of honesty and and candor in our relationship, then we can have a great relationship, whether you work for us or not. And you might want to come back and work for us in the future. Yeah. I think the same thing is important in churches and in faith communities as well. Why does one guy get to have all the opinions about scripture? Everybody can read. Right. <laughs> Everybody has a brain. Right. You know, why can't we have a community of thought leaders? Why mm-hmm. can't church staff facilitate that conversation and not let it be a monologue. Do we have to do things the way we did them before? And I think that the less hierarchical is that really that, um, that desire to say, let's try new things. Let's not be constrained by bureaucracy. 
let's not have distance between me and a leader who thinks that they're all that in a bag of chips. Yeah, and that there's a and that there is a big shift there. I mean, you're looking at a at at old school kind of companies, and I I don't know how this operates in in churches though. I've I've been in. Uh, 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 leadership roles in some churches in the past that have been around for a while. And I certainly see the hierarchy there because they were mm-hmm. older school boomer churches. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but within our organization, that, that previous model was really an apprenticeship model, which doesn't work anymore because the time it takes to have apprenticeship is, you know, by that time, somebody might move on. So you really have to have that that you know jump in and and dive in and put a lot of trust in there and and organize it and uh, and level out that hierarchy. Uh, I'm curious to know how how do we how do we articulate the boundaries then? So if you have you know everybody kind of has that voice, where do the boundaries exist as far as what what the when we're trying to practice core values, who we're bringing mm. into the organization? How does that well, look? I was going to say, so I don't call them core values. I call them critical behaviors. If you're not ah. clear about the critical behaviors, this is how you must act for you to be rewarded or punished here, sure. right? So uh, I think there it's more than core values. It's more than saying we have integrity. Well, what the heck does integrity look like? Because what you might think integrity is and what I might think integrity is are two very different things. So we need to have clear language. That's why I call them critical behaviors. So it's like, here's the critical behavior and here's the definition and here's an example of how this works. So I think yeah. that's important. That's I that's think the great. next thing is paint your vision very clearly. Where are you headed? Not this pithy one statement vision statement that tells you nothing about your business. Mm-hmm. I want to know where you're headed in the next three years. I want to know what you're trying to create. I want you to have a point of view. Because I don't want to get into it and then you change directions and now I'm trying to figure out if I fit or not. Mm -hmm. I want to know whether or not I fit now. So that way for the next three years, at least I'm here with you on that journey. And when things shift, if things shift, then you and I can have a new conversation because when things shift, it's now a new agreement. And I think what I think most uh, and I'm at fault for this, too, as an employer, um, we shift quickly at the top because we see things coming. But when we don't communicate downline effectively and make it very clear, the agreement that they had with you changes and we take advantage of that. We we don't believe that they should be feeling a specific way they're feeling because if they knew what I knew, then they would be okay with it. Well, the truth is they would know what you know if they were sitting in your seat. So you've (laughs) got to do the respectful thing of sharing this with them and then letting them make a decision. It, there, if you do that, then you're sent, you're giving respect to these people, allowing them to make a decision whether or not they're there, and not holding them hostage or manipulating them emotionally, saying you owe it to an organization that would fire your butt, and whenever they needed to, if they needed to hit the bottom line numbers in a bad econ- economy, people know this, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think becoming more honest, and we're seeing this in you know in. Uh, in Facebook and Meta, like uh, Instagram's doing it, Google's doing it. They they fired like all the big fang companies have fired 150,000 people. Right. And they did it all at once. They said, you're a commodity. We only need you when we need you. We don't need you when we don't need you. And we're not going to treat you as human beings. Mm-hmm. And I think people just aren't, they're not, you're going to see a ba- massive backlash to that. Yeah. We, you always do. When leaders act like they're God's gift to men, and are narcissistic, 
there is always a backlash to that because the people at the bottom serve the top and that's not the way it should be. It should be the people at the top serve the bottom. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Love that last point. Um, and, and all of it. Um, the people at the top serve the people about this. I love this conversation. No, this is great. No, um, yeah. And, and, and a lot of this history. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so fired up, I accidentally hit my uh, wire and couldn't hear you. Oh no, no worries. Yeah, no, I, I was just saying that the that this you know that history kind of repeats itself on this front too because yeah. we saw this in the auto industry when people were laid off and you know jobs were sent abroad and now we're seeing again with massive layoffs where where now that the same jobs that we said were taking over the previous jobs you know technology jobs are are now becoming commoditized and then we're moving in a different direction. We're seeing. Yeah. Things like quiet quitting and 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 uh, and pe- more people going off and doing their own, being solopreneurs or entrepreneurs or or freelancers and that that kind of thing. So there, yeah, there's a Adam, big big I shift. Think, I th- I think that brings it into the last uh, section. You know, for faith, it was like the future of faith is relational. Yeah, and the truth is, I think humanity is craving relationships. As we've had more digital technology, we become more isolated. And we don't know how to build community anymore. We don't know how to relate with each other anymore. Half of us getting anxiety when we're in a crowd more than three people, you know, and I think the reason why is because we don't understand how to build the skills of relationship. And yet we're feeling like the need for it that we don't, we don't know how to quantify it. We just know we just want to be with our friends. Yeah. And um, I think when you look at, when you look at the data, and look at where things are headed in business and in faith, what you're seeing is this uh, desire to say, hey, I, I want psychological safety with the people around me, mm-hmm. whether it's at work, whether it's in my family. I want to be able to have the real conversations. I don't, I don't want to sit here and say, I, I'm thinking this or I have this belief and then realize that the moment I say it, I'm now a pariah in these places. And yeah. the truth is we got to get better at not talking it out, but just empathizing it out, you know, sure. allowing you to have your worldview and allowing me to have mine and, and caring for each other as human beings, you know, at the beginning. And I think, I think you're seeing a lot of a need for that without the skills to be able to pull that off. I think that's where faith when done right has a lot of opportunity to grow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, when, I, yeah. You're just dictating whether you believe the right thing or not. That's, that's religion. That's not faith. Yeah, and um, when you ha- a faith community allows everybody to have the beautiful tension of empathizing where you're at and helping you work out your worldview instead of debasing you because you don't believe or think the way I do, and I think just the world is looking for that. They're looking for relationship and psychological safety. Yeah, and there's that word again: is community. I mean, we've we're. we're I, I, I think we're, I mean, we've been seeing it so much throughout, especially the last few years where we've been disconnected. There's been such a polarization on on almost every opinion out there that has been like just <laughs> life or death, like so, you know, bad and good. Like all of this, all of that tension can be resolved through that relational empathy, I feel. Like, you know, if, if we can rebuild those relationships, get together and talk, you know, at, at, and and come together and dialogue, Um, Yeah. And here's the deal. Like, I always say this. I haven't said this here, but I'm going to say it right now. Like, uh, I have firm opinions loosely held. Why? Because I I have exact I know exactly what I think about everything. And I also know I'm wrong. I just don't know where I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think if everybody had that mindset, 
it'd be okay, you know, because I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have a point of view. You're not going to like it. You're not going to like all of my points of view. And I'm probably wrong. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to take myself too seriously. I I guarantee you, and if you look in five years of some of the stuff that I've said on this podcast, people are going to like, that guy's an idiot. Right. He knew nothing, you know, <laughs> and I would I'd probably agree with him. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's true of anything. I mean, we've evolved so much in 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 humankind's, you know, the, the, or, or as as a country, even. I mean, you look at you look at our first, you know, presidents. You look at our first leaders and, and people who are the most progressive people in the world were were incredibly horrible by today's standards. Yeah. But we can't measure that by today's standards. We have to look at ourselves and and I love that firm opinions loosely held um, yeah. because. You know, it gives us the ability to change our minds. There's a lot of freedom in that. We can change yeah, our is. minds, folks. <laughs> we can change the our minds. I'm right more times than I'm wrong is because I decided yeah. to change my mind when I was wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will tell you selfishly from from my standpoint in the in the few months that I've been doing this podcast, I've learned so much about a topic that I thought I was an expert in, and yeah, and it's it's, it's amazing what things happen when you open your mind and it is one of the great superpowers of, of, of rising above fear is curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, True. well, that, that's a, that's any, does anything else come up as far as, you know, from, from the study, what, what other big, um, revelations did you find there? Um, aside from the three that you just brought up, anything well, else? Those are the three major ones. Yeah. I think, um, you know, when I talk to leaders often, it, it's really the, uh, concern about younger people not wanting, the uh, not wanting the uh, hard charging leader anymore. And yeah. I, again, I, I want to say as a leader that doesn't understand, uh, I mean, I do. If you are a leader that is older than 40, it's going to be harder for you to understand what younger people are working through. Mm-hmm. They process, we process information didactically. We know how to use the logical points of our brain because we lived in a pre-digital time where we had time to be able to do that. Yeah, um, it takes half a second to begin to start building a framework in our heads. It takes us it takes us one tenth of a second to feel. Mm-hmm. And when you have information coming at you uh, from all different sides, all at once, bombarding you every day, all the time, you don't have the time to build a logical framework of how this is supposed to fit here in our worldview. Yeah. You have to literally emote your way through life. And you as an older leader have to give space for them to do that. You wonder why they're not as productive as older generations. And the truth is, is because you've inundated them with too much information. If you want them to be more productive, if you want them to be more engaged into your culture, take a time, take time out, give them space and allow them to process. That Mm -hmm. is the biggest I would say as a leader, this is the biggest, most important thing you can do is give them space to process so they can begin to put things on the right shelves, in the right places, in the right seats, in their minds, and begin to think through processes that they literally haven't had time nor had had any guidance in how to do that because our entire education system, our entire business system is built on you should know what to do and you should go do it. Well, in a world where they know everything, they just don't know how it applies. They need discernment. And the only way to get discernment is to pull them out of the work, pull them out of the muck and the mire of the everyday things of life and give them time to sit here and go, let's reflect, let's observe, 
what lessons did we learn? What things were confusing? What things are uh, missing? What things were good? And what things should we never do again? Yeah. You know, if you're a leader and you can do those things, that will make you go so much further. And when you want to be strategic and you want to cl- uh, communicate a vision clearly and you want to be results oriented, you have earned the right to do that with them because you gave them the time to slow down, give them space to experiment and to reflect. Those are the most important things for the next generation. Wow, that is a mic drop moment. And and I think that's a powerful <clears throat> realization about how we can start to rise above fear on this front and experience greater flow is respecting and honoring the the differences in our generational uh, you know how how we how we operate in our different generations and if we're able to work together in that sense you know give people the freedom to work in the way that they work best you know we're going to reduce that anxiety we're going to produce more you know, we, we, and we, and we don't have to rely on checking a time clock every day to make sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's true. Just yeah. give them a task. Say, yeah. we want this result. We want it to look like this. This is what failure looks like. And yes. here's how long you have to pull it off. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, well, I think that th- this is so, so where can people find this study? Can they, uh, uh can they yeah. go to a website or anything like that? Or? They can, uh, chesleylunday.com forward slash future of faith. For those of you that are listening on uh, on podcast, it's C H E S T L Y L U N D A Y dot com forward slash future of faith. Future of faith. All right, that's that's great, and it's a great study. I, I have it right in front of me. It's super well put together, incredibly uh, well articulated, really really incredible results, uh, and I think it's it's going to change the nature. Of how how we do things in the in, in churches and hopefully in other organizations as well. And what what's next for you, Chesley? What what are you, what do you where can people find you next? Well, um, I'm doing that. You can find me online, ChesleyLunday.com. I I talk about uh, faith and leadership and change leadership. So uh, every once in a while, because I like generations, digital and faith, I do end up in like the church world and managing because you know churches has staffs. So I talk about that. If you want to meet me there, if you want to go there, I blog podcast is the Chesley Lunday experience, which is a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, those are those are the best places to reach me at. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. And yeah, if anybody out there wants to uh, connect with Chesley, please please look him up. Uh, check out his podcast. It's great. Um, I've had the uh, privilege of of being a guest at, and um, yeah. I'm excited to be there. And this is yeah is. It's it's really great to get to know you. Such great conversation here. I hope we can uh, continue it uh, going forward. So thanks Absolutely, for joining yeah. us, Leslie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Have a good day. All right. Thanks everybody for joining us, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Flow Over Fear podcast. If you're enjoying this show, please do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. I will be so grateful if you do. And I'll look forward to bringing you more value in our next episode. I'll see you then.